0: Hey, everybody. Welcome to AM Live. Thanks for joining me. Hope your weekend is going well. I hope you can hear me. If you can give me a thumbs up emoji, if you can. Okay, great. Thanks a lot. All right. So I want to talk about a few things, uh, starting with the war in Ukraine. There was an article this weekend in The New York Times called Commando Network Coordinates Flow of Weapons in Ukraine, officials say, a secretive operation involving U.S. special operations forces, hints at the scale of the effort to assist Ukraine's still outgunned military. And what the Times reports that basically from the start of the Russian invasion, there have been a contingent of CIA personnel on the ground inside Ukraine, helping to essentially direct the flow of intelligence from the U.S. to Ukraine, which means helping Ukraine fight Russia, including helping it, identify targets and helping it, uh, helping with the supply of weapons to Ukraine from the U.S. Now, this is not a surprise, but it speaks to how uh, th- th- this war has been treated as a proxy war. Uh, this is what the CIA did in Afghanistan and also in Syria. It had people on the ground in the region helping to direct the fight. And Ukraine is no different. And this is a case where it's one of these stories where, you know, if if people had said this a few months ago that that there are CIA operatives on the ground inside Ukraine and the U.S. is very much a belligerent in this war, you would have been accused of by some people of spreading a conspiracy theory or spreading a Kremlin talking point. But now stuff like this is impossible to hide. So eventually it does always come out. And now that it appears in The New York Times, now all of a sudden this becomes just sort of normal and sanitized and those who were calling out stuff like this a while ago um, and were called and, and were dismissed as conspiracy theorists and all that, there's no apology. There's no recognition that people were rightfully skeptical and asking more questions and not just believing the dominant story that we were told. And that speaks to how efficient our propaganda system is where so many media outlets are just conditioned to only go along with what, Officials tell them, and then what establishment media outlets are allowed to print, and those two parameters—what officials say and what establishment outlets are allowed to print—those sort of set the parameters for what is allowed to be discussed. And anybody who quest- who deviates from that, who questions whether or not there's a larger U.S. role in the Ukraine war than is being acknowledged, they're just dismissed as conspiracy theorists uh, or kremlin assets and all that stuff and then when information comes out that validates what these skeptics or whatever you want to call them conspiracy theorists were saying it doesn't matter it's like we just move on to the next thing and this is the part of the problem i think for people who you know don't support the u.s policy in ukraine or at least are skeptical of it is that you know the propaganda system works so well so that discussion is constrained so tightly to those parameters i just explained and also to you know even question the prevailing narrative, it takes time. Whereas the prevailing narrative that Russia launched this unprovoked invasion of Ukraine, you can say that. And because the media operates all in lockstep with no dissent or, or like countervailing points of view, it's very easy for everyone to just adopt that belief because, you know, that's what is so widespread and there's no countervailing information to that. Now, if you're on my side of things, it takes a long time to explain. All the reasons why, actually, this is not unprovoked. And that doesn't mean you justify what Russia did, but to pretend that Russia just invaded Ukraine because it's imperialist or because Putin is bloodthirsty uh, is to ignore all this context and history that comes before it. And we've talked about it a lot, but there's so much. But this speaks to the challenge in trying to convince people that there's another way to look at things because you need some time Uh, and you you need to be able to explain things that most people aren't familiar with because – our media system hasn't even allowed them to hear about it. So they won't hear about uh, the Ukraine coup in 2014, which the U.S. played a big role in, the Donbass war that, trigger, that kicked off soon afterwards, that was preceded by a series of attacks on the Russian-speaking population by the new coup regime. Uh, you don't hear about the expansion of NATO to Russia's borders and the fact that Under Biden, the U.S. and Ukraine were signing partnerships that were going to further integrate Ukraine into NATO, including by bringing bringing Ukraine's military up to NATO standards. So even if Ukraine doesn't even join NATO officially, Ukraine is still being incorporated into uh, NATO's fighting force and being trained. And this article in The Times, it points out just at one base alone in Ukraine, listen to the sentence, From 2015 to early this year, American Special Forces and National Guard instructors trained more than 27,000 Ukrainian soldiers at the Yavoriv Combat Training Center in western Ukraine near the city of Lviv, Pentagon officials said. And this has been known for a while, but it's not really been officially acknowledged, or at least not been officially acknowledged at this public level until now. And this is the kind of stuff that really helped fuel Russia's paranoia about Ukraine being used as a Western bulwark on its borders. Imagine if you know Russia had been training twenty-seven thousand Canadian soldiers uh, on the U.S. border after Russia also backed a coup in Canada. Now the U.S. would never allow that, and that's just one part of it. So you have the U.S. you know using Ukraine essentially as a proxy on its borders and training its forces for that goal right after the coup in 2014 you also meanwhile have okay so you have a nato expansion you have the coup in 2014 you have the war on the donbass which kills thousands of people with the u.s arming the ukrainian side um you know from 2014 on and then you also have which never which never gets discussed also you have you know for the last 20 years the u.s has been slowly dismantling arms control treaties with pretty much the sole purpose of encircling russia under other pretext but that's the real aim here. So, 2002, the Bush administration pulls out of the anti-ballistic missile treaty and they claim that this is to protect Europe from Iranian missiles, uh which is crazy and laughable because Iran doesn't even have missiles that I think could hit Europe and even if they did, it would ma- that would mean automatic suicide for Iran. But pulling out of the anti-ballistic missile treaty What it really did for the Bush administration is allow them to basically build up these missile sites in Poland and Romania under the pretext that they're defensive against potential Iranian missiles. But really, both of these sites can easily, very, very quickly be turned into offensive sites that can hit Russia. And that is what those sites are for. And the concern of of Russia was that the U.S., with that deepening military integration between Washington and Kiev was that Ukraine was going to be used for that purpose. And that was one of Russia's key demands to the U.S. before its invasion in February, was that the U.S. pledged that it will not station offensive weapons in Ukraine. And there was some discussion about that. And initially, I think Biden actually signaled he would actually commit to that. But as I understand it, then then that was walked back, which I think helped lead to the calculus behind uh, Russia's invasion. And then you also had, and this also can't be discussed, in the days before Russia's invasion, there was a huge uptick in offensive attacks on the Ukrainian side, from the Ukrainian side on the Donbass side of the war, on the rebel-held side of the war. And that, in the eyes of Russia, was a sign that Ukraine, with U.S. backing, was going to launch a major offensive against the Donbass. And I have no idea if that's true or not, but the point is, All that is in the background of why Russia invaded Ukraine, and none of that is discussed in any of these articles. And so now when you have an article in The Times that, oh, yeah, by the way, U.S. special forces, CIA, have been operating in Ukraine throughout this entire war and helping to fight the war, uh, that just underscores how deeply entrenched the Ukrainian military is inside the U.S. hegemonic order and how whatever you think about Russia's invasion, and again, I told you know I, I personally don't defend it. I can't believe that Russia didn't have any other options but to invade. But putting that aside, to deny that Russia had serious security concerns with a uh, with a a country on its border with which it has deep historical ties, where millions of Russian speakers live, was being so integrated into you know the U.S. military posture that it's had trainers there training 27,000 Ukrainian soldiers at just one base by the U.S. Uh, that, that speaks to a, a serious concern for Russia, and none of that can ever be discussed in our media. And speaking of which, there was recently an interesting admi- admission from Petro Poroshenko about the Minsk Accords that I want to mention uh, because this was a major factor, I think, in Russia's thinking. That So in 2015, you have the Minsk Accords. that signed between... Ukraine and the Russian-backed rebels in the east. And the basic bargain of Minsk is that in exchange for these rebels demilitarizing, they get autonomy. And if they get autonomy, then they can effectively veto Ukraine joining NATO because they're going to keep Ukraine's sovereign borders intact. So the Donbass region will stay a part of Ukraine, but they get some autonomy and that autonomy basically gives them enough power and leverage to prevent Ukraine from joining NATO. And so... Neoconservatives in Washington never liked Minsk and never put their weight behind helping Ukraine implement Minsk, which, as we've talked about before, Ukraine, if it was going to implement Minsk, it needed the support of Washington because Ukraine's powerful neo Nazi movement, which was empowered by the coup in 2014, hated the idea of Minsk and threatened to coup the government if it actually implemented the, P- the peace accords of, of Minsk. So, as Stephen F. Cohen talked about, and I wrote about this recently, the only way for Ukraine to implement Minsk was if the U.S. had its back. And instead, the U.S. had the back of Ukrainian neo-Nazis and other people in the far right who didn't want to see the peace, uh, didn't want to see peace come to Ukraine, did not want to see the war in the Donbass come to an end. Well, now, it, apparently, this also applies to the person who signed Minsk. And that's Petro Poroshenko, who was speaking recently to the German outlet, uh, DW. And he admitted, I think, I mean, this is how I interpret his words. Maybe people see this differently. He admitted that Ukraine never had any interest in implementing Minsk and that we're essentially using Minsk to stall for time to build up their forces to prepare for war with Russia. This is what Petro Poroshenko said. And uh, what is the uh,
1: results of the Minsk agreement? We win eight years to create army. We win eight years to restore economy, we win eight years to continue the reforms and to move to the uh, European Union. And Mr.
2: And Poroshenko, we, I still,
0: I still, eight, sorry. I this, po- Caught that. He says, the first thing he says is, what is Minsk? Well, with with Minsk, we win, we won eight years to rebuild the army and eight years to join the European Union. And what I'm hearing, what I'm hearing him say there is that basically Minsk was meant never to actually implement peace, but to stall for time, and stall for time to be trained by the U.S. and to prepare for war with Russia. To instead of making peace with the Donbass, to basically recapture it. That's what I'm reading from his words. And you know the reason I I, I interpret it this way is because he's also the person who said early on in the Donbass war that you know, the people of the Donbass, his own people, fellow Ukrainians, that their children will live in basements in fear while we, you know, live nicely on our side. Uh, And he vowed to basically make the people of Donbass suffer until the rebels laid down their arms. But unfortunately, the rebels did not want to live under a government that they felt was waging an assault on Russian speakers inside Ukraine. And their fears were certainly accelerated when the coup government, Tolerated and I would say enabled a massacre in Odessa in May of 2015 when dozens of people were burned alive in Odessa, burned alive. They were forced into a trade union building and then burned alive. And those who escaped were beaten to death or seriously hurt. So that's uh, Poroshenko saying that they never intended to implement Minsk and we're using it to stall for time. So look, this is just the context that gets omitted from are reporting on Ukraine and it means that people who don't have the time to go and do long research or read alternative sites like the gray zone will never know this and uh will meanwhile be asked to continue to sacrifice their own you know their own well-being higher gas prices higher food prices a world in turmoil the threat of nuclear war just for the sake of continuing this proxy war Which makes the task of getting out accurate information all the more important, despite the many people who want to censor people like me from uh, doing it. So, all right. That's my rant. Let's take some calls. And Mini Ninja Love, you are first. Hey, Aaron. Hi.
2: All right. So I was listening to all this and I... I tune into you guys, obviously, the Duran and all the, you know, the stuff about this and this new revelation about the CIA, which we all knew beforehand being infiltrated and all that, um, isn't surprising, but then I guess the task at hand is to hold people accountable, you know, if for, for the lies. So if everybody could continue, you know, like holding the New York times and people that print all the bullshit for the cia which is controlled opposition um i think we'd be better for it but i want to ask you aaron i know i've heard you say a couple of times that you know you can't believe that you know russia's only option was you know to to go in and and you know defend itself or however you want to phrase it but i was just kind of curious like what ideas do you have that alternatives do you have that they could have done
0: well you know why not go to the u.n Security Council say, I would like a peacekeeping mission to protect the people of the Donbass. Um, why not uh, give a speech directed at the people of the U.S. and say, look, y- your government refuses to accept my basic security needs. And this is existential for me. You so, don't think he did that, Aaron?
2: You'd, I mean, by, I don't think he I made, think made an appeal. I- the, the agreements that they promised. to. No, sign he did. It's
0: true. Yeah, they they did release agreements. They did. But. I just think if you're going to go to war, even if you have a lot of legitimate grievances, you need to exhaust all options to avoid war. And um, look, and I'm you, open don't,
2: to- you don't believe that they, they tried going the U.N. route at all? Like, you don't think like they I don't to-
0: I, I, I remember one time there was talk of a the Russia trying to request a peacekeeping force in the Donbass. But I don't think it got very far. And certainly it didn't happen recently. It didn't happen before the invasion. Look, listen, like, let me say. I'm open to the case that they had no other choice. I really am. Like, I'm not like going to try to virtue signal and say, um, you know, this war was deaf, completely unjustified and all that. And, you know, I've seen some people compare it to the Iraq war, which I think is just ridiculous, especially when you start with a map, you know, just forgetting all the other, forgetting the fact that Iraq was a complete scam. The Iraq WMDs, it was a hoax and all that. Saddam and Al Qaeda, whereas Russia had legit grievances. Just, but just look at a map, like, Ukraine is on Russia's border. So I'm open to the case that they had no other choice, but I just haven't seen that case made yet. And even, even the case they have said that uh, Ukraine was going to definitely invade the Donbass and launch this genocidal campaign. All right, I'm open to it, but where's the evidence? I mean, there is though, the OSCE reports that I've mentioned, these monitors from the European Union uh, – not the European Union, but these European monitors that um, sh- report a huge uptick in attacks – Ceasefire violations. And if you look at the map, all those ceasefire violations are happening with strikes on the rebel held side. So that could be an indication, uh, as is often the case. Like before you invade, you launch massive artillery strikes, right? So I'm open to that. But I just, I think we need more evidence before we can say that Russia had no other choice.
2: I kind of have a feeling that, you know, when you look at how uh, Russia and China and how, you know, their leaders speak with and a little bit of integrity and knowledge and I don't know, something that maybe we're lacking in our own government or whatever, that, that, that they, they do have proof, you know what I mean? And, and they, they've stated on their website that they are compiling, you know, all that. So I, I'll be excited to see what they, you know, what, what they come up with, especially with the bio labs. And they are, and I was thinking about this, like, you know, when I, cause I, I was listen, I listened to you guys obviously. And, um, you know, try to, I'm a solutions orientated person. So I try to come up, you know, with, with solutions and stuff. And I, you know, I, I've unfortunately been in the position to try to have to defend my family. And I think the presidents, good ones, they think of their countries like that, you know, they're, they're a leader of a country. And when you have your own language being stripped from, from your culture and you have women being raped and you have. Uh, you know, people burned alive. Like you, like you said, like, I don't know. I don't know if you sit back and ask for per, per permission to protect your family or country, you know, like I, I honestly think like they were backed up against a wall and it, not just for the sake of their own country, but all of us, I you
0: know, think, you know, I what think NATO's he doing, yeah. I
2: mean, we see what NATO's doing.
0: Look. I think you make some really compelling points. I agree with you. They were backed up against the wall. I definitely think they're trying to defend the siege Russian speakers, especially from areas where they're being, you know, um, attacked by neo-Nazis, which definitely was happening not everywhere, but certainly uh, in some parts of the, of that region. Yes. So there, I think there was a defensive element to this. Again, I just, my position is to, to justify an invasion of another country even with all these all these legitimate grievances, I just think you have to meet a high burden of evidence. And I'm open to it. I just haven't seen it yet. So thank you for the call. Hey, I
2: want to end on one thing because I was saying I'm solution-orientated. You know, I do yeah. want to give a shout-out to Aaron. Please uh, connect with these people because they're global. They're experts from all different countries. It's called the Schiller Institute and the LaRouche um, Institute too. Like – these people from around the world are actually trying to gather people and do have a, a big culture of people talking solutions. You know, a lot of us are caught up passing problems around, you know, from Katie Helper to Lee Camp to the Gray Zone, what, you know, Jimmy Dore. Everyone kind of passes along the same problems, but we need people and good minds like the Gray Zone to start engaging in some organizations that are solution.
0: Okay, uh, I got gotcha. you. So I'm not, guys. yeah, I'm not a Larouche guy, but but I, I encourage anyone to get involved with whatever they think is meaningful to them. Well, you but, don't have uh, to
2: be a Larouche guy yeah. to talk to different people. Of course, like, absolutely. And they're just ask, they want help, they want ideas. They absolutely. Want, you know, I'm, so I'm all for
0: talking to anybody. Thank you for the yeah. call. Thanks for the no call. No problem. Okay. All right, Sam. Hey, Aaron. Hope your
3: <laughs> Sunday is going better than the news is.
0: Yes, yes, yes. Thank you.
3: Um uh, I would just I'm going to be quick cuz uh, I know there's a queue forming. Um I would say I don't think anyone should be surprised. I, I just think that it's I mean we knew from when it was in Syria we were told this was a a uprising and again there was a legitimate, you know, uprising of people who just had, you know, uh they wanted reform. And then we find out leaked documents that the CIA had been in Syria arming people with ballistic missile or sorry, anti-tank Tau missiles. And it just it shouldn't be a surprise anymore. I mean, I find that at this point, anytime there is a civil unrest or a war going on, you're going to find some CIA guys there. And it takes about four or five years of being called a conspiracy nut. (laughs) until like, memos come out and then it's, oh, the CIA was there the whole time. Yeah. Yeah. Well,
0: certainly. Yeah. Like what's cool about Ukraine, though, this actually happened at a pretty quicker pace. I mean, usually we, we find out stuff like this years later, but this is only a few months in. So, yeah, that's I mean, with technology,
3: we get it better. I agree. It's just it comes out much quicker. You, it's kind of hard to, you know, these these uh, these uh, military guys stick out like sore thumbs on a smartphone. But um, I just I just don't think anyone should be surprised. And even now we know the CIA is there the conversation is going to shift to, well, it doesn't matter. They were there. Uh, They had to be there. Obviously Russia was an aggressor uh, because of Crimea. I mean, you know, it's always the mental gymnastics to justify it. You're first crazy. And then when you point out, here you go, I've been vindicated, right? Oh my God, are you still on that? Of course the CIA had to be there. This was a a thing that was going to happen. And thank God they were there. I mean, it's just the trail. You know, it's just how it happens at this point. Mm. No one can be remotely surprised anymore if, there's a war, the CIA's there, and some memo will point out, they've been arming, funding, and backing some radicalized group that we call rebels now. In 20 years, we'll have to admit, yeah, maybe those guys weren't the best people to arm and train like the Mujahideen. So <laughs> I, I would just say no one should be surprised anymore.
4: Well, here, here,
0: fair enough.
3: Thanks, anyway, Sam, for the call.
4: Great, 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 enjoy
0: your rest of your Sunday. You too. Okay, Anthony. Good afternoon.
5: Hey, I think um, we really need to emphasize
6: the point that uh everyone in the u.s congress is a uh basically a nazi collaborator in this whole ukraine thing like you know it might be taboo or people don't want to talk about it but just it it's really got to be emphasized and i don't know it kind of goes hand in hand with the anti-duopoly thing anyway
0: you know what i was thinking about this today uh because i was thinking i really wanted to tweet out a clip from the comedian louis ck who is one of my favorite comedians. I think he's so funny. And I know he did some really, you know, gross stuff and he had to bow out of the public spotlight. But I was thinking, okay, so if I tweet this out, I'm, you know, I'm going to get people angry that I tweeted out something from Louis CK and there are people who think he should be canceled because of because of what he did. He was caught masturbating in front of women. And then he had a really and then he issued this apology, but it wasn't even really a a fair apology because he didn't even actually apologize. He kind of he kind of, um, avoided the the hurt he caused, right? So I was, th- but I was thinking, why is it that someone like Louis C.K., you know, like, like, why do I have to feel, uh, reservations about tw- just tweeting a video from Louis C.K., a professional comedian? But people who vote for, like, arming a $40 billion, you know, like, people who vote to authorize $40 billion for the proxy war, people who, um, are supporting neo Nazis inside Ukraine, uh, people who are voting to give more and more money to the military industrial complex, that they don't suffer any, like, no one's calling for them to be c- canceled permanently. I mean, they get criticized, but they're not canceled forever. And Barack Obama, for all he did, he's not canceled forever. So it's just, I don't know. That, that's what you're saying there speaks to a dilemma I was thinking about today. I, that it's just like, and I'm not saying people should be like, uh, shamed and not allowed to speak in public, but just the standards that we hold public figures to, I think, is obviously out of whack.
6: Well, it's just a, a militancy that's called for at this crazy time, and you know that also brings to mind the force of the vote thing. People said that shouldn't be a litmus test necessarily; it's more of a strategy thing. And I say, yeah. okay, well, maybe it's a strategy Medicare for all, but what about voting for Nancy Pelosi? Period. That's another litmus test in itself. I mean, she's a, and been with torture and the war on terror for twenty years, so that should be
4: Oh, it must test. But anyway,
7: yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. All right, Anthony, thanks for the call. Okay, Tim. It's you? Hey, can you hear me? Yeah.
8: Hey, awesome. Hey, Aaron, thanks. Um, so, God, I could like ask you about ten different things right now, but um, you you raised something that I kind of obsess about quite a bit, which is kind of how to break through to people. Um, in a almost like a communication theory kind of way. And I want to ask you about something. Um, You know, I think fundamentally that if you were to zoom way out and look at how this war is presented to people, um, the biggest problem is, you know, the kind of board book level understanding of this is, you know, you have big, nasty Russia attacking, um, you know, poor, small Ukraine. Yeah, um, but what this? So, my counterpoint to that would be basically uh, the eastern parts of that country are for all in intents and purposes, and this isn't you know anything non-obvious. Russians; they're ethnically Russian, they're linguistically Russian, they're Russian in their religious, you know, affiliations and so forth. So. Once you make that board book mistake, right, you fail to realize that by supporting basically Kiev, which is supported by NATO and, uh, and the U.S., obviously being the key issue here, um, they don't view those people as Ukrainians, right? They view them as the enemy because they are enthralled to a, to an extremist, ultra-nationalist Western Ukrainian uh, ideology, which is rooted in, you know, the same people who killed 100,000 Poles and 200,000 Jews under, you know, <laughs> Nazi leadership, right? So once, if you made that mistake of believing that board book version of the whole thing, you're never going to understand that, The the simple explanation for why the Ukrainian army is installing its howitzers and its tanks amidst civilian architecture and civilian infrastructure is because it's a perfect diabolical way to blame the Russians for doing the work that they would love to do, right? Like, they're basically, they don't view these people as compatriots. They're the enemy. Right. And once you've made that horrible miscalculation, basically support for Ukraine amounts to handing tormented victims back to their tormentors and patting yourself on the back for, it. you know, like it's it's a it's a remarkable inversion of of the morality of what's going on.
0: You know what I mean? Oh, absolutely. And and it's I mean, look, we've already seen that in Syria where absolutely, you know, you like we constantly heard this refrain of we need to support Syrian voices and support the Syrian people. But then you look at what that actually means on the ground, and that means their concept of Syrians amounts to uh, sectarian death squads that were killing minorities uh, and trying to take over the country because very early on, and this was recognized internally. By the Defense Intelligence Agency, the insurgency was dominated by Al Qaeda and other Salafist militias, and that's what these what, that's what people who cheered on the proxy war in Syria wanted us to support. Uh, because when you go to Syria, as I did a year ago, nobody wanted to live under these um, sectarian death squads. To put it nicely, no, I mean there, there I mean there were some people who did there, and um, there are people who got. I think. Um, convinced by a lot of the propaganda they saw on the satellite, the the Arabic satellite networks that were coming into Syria that exploited sectarian divisions. And so people in the poor Sunni areas, yeah, I mean, some of them did support the insurgency. But the vast majority, I think, did not want their country destroyed uh, and wanted to live in peace and wanted to resolve their differences and their criticisms of, of their government peacefully, not by... Carrying the country to shreds, but those people could not be listened to, and the same thing with, with Ukraine today. And so, so that's why you know I joked that like after this article came out about the CIA in Ukraine, that when people, when pro proxy war voices, you know, demand that we respect the Ukrainian people's agency, this yeah. is the this is the, this is the agency they're talking about, and that's and that's <laughs> the Central Intelligence Agency.
8: No, I love that tweet. It was awesome. And I wish I, you know, I'm very jealous that I didn't see that obvious line out there. It's it's fantastic. <laughs> oh, thanks. I mean, but I mean, there's a the, um, sorry, what was I going to say? I mean, the situation in, in Syria, as I've said before, was even more extraordinarily messed up in the sense that, as you pointed out, um, you know, even in the New York Times, you had a reporter and a camera girl's name who was saying the obvious result of the fall of the um, Assad government is a bloodbath, right? And so, you know, you're in this ridiculous situation where, and I, I, you know, I identify myself as leftist. I'm not, you know, criticizing uh, it in terms of as a, there's a better option out there in fundamental terms. But, you know, the, the, um, the susceptibility of leftists to fall for this very kind of self-satisfied sense of, you know, um, you know the idea that, um, you know, this government, the one that supplies all the water, all the education, all the roads, all these things, right, is this oppressor. of of the Syrian people to such an extent that they would accept, you know, a sectarian bloodbath as a solution, which is, I'm not saying anyone said that out loud, but implicitly, that's what it meant, right? And of course, people, everyone, after after it becomes clear after three or four months, everyone's like, I'm running away from that as quick (laughs) as I can, right? No matter how many think tanks in the West or... Idiots, uh, you know. I mean, I haven't listened to the CBC since 2011. I got so angry with Anna Maria T- Tremonti browbeating the only female foreign minister in the entire Middle East about her human rights record in Syria. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Just to explain, like- just to
0: explain that that's yeah. CBC is a Canadian uh, broadcast network. Yeah. It's public and it's really it used to be not bad, or uh, but now it's just. Everybody hates it. Like, leftists, people on the right, no one likes the CBC. It's so, it's it's so horrible.
8: Yeah, it's just becoming the stuff. I mean, it's what it's what happened to The Guardian, right? Yeah. I mean, this yeah. has happened all over. I mean, the, the, the fall in The Guardian is extraordinary. I mean, the, the you know, the interview that Matt Kenner did with... Um, with... Uh,
0: Jeremy Corbyn.
8: Jeremy Corbin this week was great and really interesting in the sense of, you know, even he... Recognizes what's going on. Like yeah. our media is, you know, completely, uh, completely um, compromised at this point. Yeah. I
0: think. Well, I was honored. I was honored uh, this last week, I think, or a week ago, when The Guardian declared that I am the leading purveyor of disinformation on Syria. Absolutely, that was a real honor for me. And of course, they're basing that entirely on a study that comes from something called the Institute for Strategic Dialogue which they failed to tell their audience is a U.S. government-funded think tank that also works with something called the Syria Campaign, which is a Syrian opposition-funded think tank. And, of course, they failed to identify a single piece of of disinformation that I've ever spread. And, of course, they also failed to contact me. That's The Guardian now. It's crazy. I I remember when it was also like the CBC. Not bad. It's just how it is. Tim, thanks for the
7: call. no. Okay. You meet. Hey, am I unmuted? Yes. Okay. Uh, Hey, Aaron. uh, Thanks uh, again for uh, these nice uh, podcasts on Colin. And I'd like to tip off my hat to Sam, just uh, pointing out that um, it shouldn't be um, surprising that um, secret people from the CIA or even other agencies are operating all over the world. Uh, That's a very, very good point. Um, what I would like to ask is, um, something that really, um, gets to me here in the Netherlands. I live here in the Netherlands and, um, it's the amount of, um, some kind of, I I call it propaganda and, um, that, uh, it's spread throughout, uh, all over the country, be it by, um, newspapers or even radio or television about the war in Ukraine. Um, I even heard people, um, um how do you say it, Um, uh, glorifying uh, um, elders that were in the Ukraine talking about their days in the UPA. And I think the UPA is a part of um, um, a right-wing organization back in the Second World War in the Ukraine. Um, uh, But I think the Netherlands has a special um, um, interest in the Ukraine, especially by the downing of the MH17 uh, plane. Uh, in back in 2014 and what I would like to know is um, am I correct in assuming that uh, the downing of the MH17 airplane is being used as um, a means to um, vilify uh, Russia in this case even uh, especially now um, in the war in the Ukraine yeah, you
0: know, I haven't looked much into the downing of MH17. Um, it's it's one of these things, kind of like the Syria OPCW scandal, where to really get into it, you have to, you know, absorb a lot of details that I, I just haven't had time for. Uh, I do know that Belencat's involved in trying to accuse Russia of guilt, and so if, if Belencat's involved, then I'm automatically skeptical, and I'm certainly. Um, would would not be surprised if, a, if as you suggest, it's being used to scapegoat Russia. But look, the official story that um, rebels in the Donbass, armed by uh, Russia, uh, st- shot down the plane. Uh, that that to me, I, I wouldn't. Um, that to me sounds quite plausible. Whether it was intentional or not, it's possible they didn't know it was a civilian plane. And I've also heard um, speculation that the Ukrainian military was actually. Um well, you know what i 'm not going to get into speculation, but look, the official story that it, it was the rebels in the east who shot down the plane that it wouldn't it wouldn't surprise me if that were true. Um, I doubt they would do that on purpose, shoot down a civilian airliner, but uh I know there's a lot of uh, details to learn, and one day when I get the time I'll, I'll look into it i mean what are your what are your thoughts about what happened there?
7: Well, I concur. Uh, I concur what you what you say about uh, it could be just an accidental uh, downing of the of the airplane itself. But uh, the 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 uh, uh, yeah, I, I would say it's uh, some kind of abuse, uh, just to 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 yeah, maybe could you say some kind of manufacturing consent here in the Netherlands just to vilify Russia. That's uh, that's something that gets to me. Not the fact that the plane uh, could be down just by rebels in uh, in the Ukraine, who have um 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 how to say it? um um thought that it was a a military plane instead of a civilian plane. I mean that's that, that's what I think as well. Yeah, that's what I wanted to ask or say. Uh, I thought you maybe you had more information because you uh, you have been extensively um um. Uh, uh doing research on on uh on russia and uh, what's happening in the ukraine so that's my ask
0: yeah well you know my you know i have a limited uh amount of knowledge when it comes to that and it, it that incident i just haven't looked into what i do know is that bellingcat is involved and if bellingcat is involved given my experience with bellingcat where in my experience, in terms of their coverage of the Syria dirty war and how they've gone after OPCW whistleblowers and the lengths they've gone to whitewash the available evidence that the OPCW investigation into Duma was compromised and to also try to um, ignore all the massive evidence that the, what actually happened in Duma was staged. Um, and even their involvement in actually covering up evidence, there's a long story there. I don't trust them at all. It makes perfect sense to me that they're just simply doing the bidding of the people who pay them, which is the U S UK governments and private firms and organizations that are involved in the dirty wars in both Syria and Ukraine. So I don't trust them at all. And if they're involved, I'm automatically skeptical, but it just beyond that, that's, that's about all I know.
7: Okay. Thank you. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you. Okay. Steve.
9: Hi, Aaron. Hi there. Hi, Aaron. Hey, uh, you're great. So's your dad.
0: Is he doing? Is he well? He's great. He's on the road yeah. right now. He yeah. just uh, went all around Europe and yeah. was met with a great reception. And it was so great to see him out there because of you know he was sidelined a bit with COVID like everybody else. And so yeah, yeah, he had, you know just uh, but um, you know I constantly hear people express their gratitude for his work, and it's wonderful to see. It being recognized, and uh, he has a new book coming out in September called "The Myth of Normal," which is really it's a it's a wonderful book, and it's kind of his magnum opus. It's um
9: yeah so that, he um, he's he amazing. I I I mean, he puts other psychiatrists, to,
0: psychologists to shame. <laughs> well, <laughs> and he's but he, he and he's not even and that's probably that's probably because he's not even a, he's not even a psychologist or a psychiatrist.
9: Well, well he's oh that's right, he's a doctor. So yeah. but but yeah. We're not, we're not sick. The, the system is, oh my God. Anyway, so I'm, I'm older, I'm 60 years old and I, I'm scared to death. I've never seen the West in this country like this before in, mm. you know, in my conscious lifetime mm-hmm. and uh, the New York, you know, they're all saying today, oh, they blew up. They, they killed a person in Kiev uh, intentionally in an apartment building. They're, they're, um, they're killing all kinds of people in Donets. The and, and there's no word about that. Anyway, so I want to rebut, not rebut, but kind of push back, so to speak, a little bit on um, what you said earlier about, well, they could have done other things. They could have, which is true, which is true. Um, when, when we used to protest at the Concord Naval Weapons Station, And uh, we'd go before the judge, he'd say, well, you didn't exhaust all your legal. Here's why you're getting fined. You didn't exhaust all your legal options. You could say that, that Russia did not exhaust all their options. But I think here's what happened. I think, uh, like uh, Mao said in 49, China has stood up, you know, and uh, the the nationalism in China, the nationalism in Russia, I think they have decided that um, they've had enough. That they don't have to justify themselves. They don't. uh, It's a game.
4: It's a game. They're never
9: going to win the Western Mm -hmm. press, Hollywood. You know, they're never going to win the PR game. And I think, um, especially, I'm sorry, I'll I'll stop right now. But um, uh, uh, Lavrov, you know, he said to the BBC. I don't care what the eyes, what how you, how the eyes of the West see me. I, got I that. Don't care.
0: Yeah. I, I, I got that. You
9: know what? I'm, they're pushing back against us, and you know what? I don't blame them.
0: Yep. I, I I understand that, but and and I can understand their point of view. It doesn't mean though I have to accept it. You know, I'm open to it though. As I said, no, I'm open to I, it. I'm, I, 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 no, but I'm open said, to it. No, I, but,
9: I, no, I I don't disagree with you, but you said, oh, they could have gone to the u n is owned by the u s now now you know that
0: right, I got that, yeah. but you could still <laughs> yeah. at least you still at least make an effort you know okay so, you go through so, the motions. so if, the go US, through if the u s if the u s wants to veto a peacekeeping force yeah. for okay yeah you know yeah yeah um now I hear you now the the counter argument to that will be, well, well, if you do that, then maybe you're tipping your hand too much and you and you're Definitely letting your opponents know that you are definitely going to invade if this doesn't pass, which allows them to prepare. So that will hurt you militarily. So, uh, you know, I'm open to these arguments. I just would like to see the case made in the strongest form. And I'm just saying I haven't seen it made yet. I'm open. I'm open to it, though.
9: Get their point that
0: they they don't have to explain it to Steve and Aaron.
9: That's not
0: something. Well, I must say I'm not saying they do, but I'm saying and, and that's their attitude. That's fine. But I'm saying I don't still have to accept that. You know, and um, right. but I certainly get that they're fed up with the West. They understood that Ukraine was being used, as John Mearsheimer has warned about from the start. Many
9: times for many years as yeah. a
0: as a as a Western bulwark on, on Russia's border. And you also can't trust the US to respect agreements. Like look at the Iran nuclear deal or uh, look at the Minsk Accords, which the US was supposed to support, but did nothing to actually try to implement. So I get it. I get it. I just don't have to uh fully I I don't I don't have to adopt that point of view, you know. Um but I think I I I, I think it's I think it's totally fair to try to understand Russia's motivations and to you know, um uh and to treat every country equally and to ask what would the US have done in the same position? And to me, it's not even close. The US would have actually invaded Ukraine a long time ago if the US was in um, a similar position. All right. Steve, thanks for the call. Okay, and
10: Hi. Um, uh, That's an interesting whole dilemma there, interesting to think about. But on another note about NATO, um, I saw today that, I don't know if it was 5,000 or in another report, 10,000 people in Madrid actually were demonstrating against NATO, which is having a summit there soon, in a few days. Um, So, you know, it's heartening that some people do understand that NATO has this huge role to play. Either you know provoking it, or now to pull back and and not admit all these other countries and so on, and then that's on the you know the sunny side. But on the dark side, when would five thousand people in New York or in you know in the United States come out to the street? I don't know. Yeah, Wait. imagine
0: imagine that.
10: <laughs> I know. Like Saturday, there was an event coordinated by a lot of groups called a twenty four hour around the world peace wave online mostly. Mm. And um, it was these little groups of people my age, which is really old, much older than the other color. um, Little groups, you know, like 25 grandmothers in New York and maybe 10 people were in a little town in um, North Carolina with their signs. Um, You know, and it's it's something. I I certainly don't mean to disparage it, but um, we need that. And and, um, when you see huge crowds... Uh, demonstrating justifiably for other things, especially the Supreme Court, you just wonder what does it take for um, for these people to see these connections and i don 't know get out more into the streets with signs but
0: it 's course- a great question it 's a great i mean look you know I go to a lot of Julian Assange events in New York City, where I live, and the crowd is you know mostly on the older side, young people are just not there right now when it comes to this story and that's um and the same thing i think with uh with the proxy war in ukraine and that's just because you know that whatever people have other priorities and you know young people today face a whole bunch of challenges that other generations didn't um but uh it's interesting and i don't you know i don't know the answer but no. it's, 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 it's definitely something worth acknowledging that.
10: Well, uh, and it, it seems so yeah. far away. I, I'm sure, obviously, yeah. literally far away. But then if people, um, are worried about our domestic priorities and, and Absolutely. need to know about the military budget and, and, Absolutely. Billions I mean, all, you know.
0: and, and the fact that the squad and, and Bernie Sanders, they're all voting for $40 uh, billion for Ukraine. And while still talking about the need to take on the military industrial complex and yeah. how we can't, you know, in the U.S., there's a major home, um, issue with the unhoused people who don't have homes i mean it's a major problem in big cities like la especially and you know we could we could give everybody a home with the money that we've given to ukraine but that doesn't even yeah cross people's minds because you know when you have even progressive politicians lining up uh, in support of these neocom policies it's very hard to make the connection because we count on our progressive leaders to advocate for all the progressive issues at home and so that is undermined when they're meanwhile selling out those issues by voting to fund militarist actions abroad that take away money and energy from all the issues that need to be addressed here. So it's um yeah. I don't you know, I don't have any answers, but it's it's like it's a it's a tough one.
10: I know. They need to be challenged. But thanks anyway, thank you. Thank Bye. you.
0: And by the way, I also blame Russia Gate. I also blame Oh you know, of course. I also blame uh whatever what is it now? Like you know, years and years of Russia Gate propaganda. In which any, anything associated with Russia that can be, you know, real or not, is tainted with, you know, the specter of evil, and something progressive should oppose. You can call anything, you can say Putin supports this, and then all of a sudden we have to oppose it, whether Putin actually supports it or not. Um, and it also just demobilized people. We used to, you know, like. Uh, liberal activism became being about watching MSNBC and waiting for Robert Mueller to deliver the goods. And then it was impeachment with, over Ukraine. Now it's January 6th. So liberals have been so effectively sidelined into doing nothing while being convinced that they're actually standing up for democracy. It's really it's an incredible propaganda campaign that's happened.
7: Yeah.
10: Well, thanks for your show. For the call-in. It's great.
0: Thank
4: Bye. you. Thank you. Bye. Okay. Brady. Karen Maté, honored to meet you. Thank you so much for doing this. I'd just like to remind people that back in the Revolutionary War, the Russian the enlightened Russian Empress Catherine the Great firmly opposed the British naval blockade and continued to trade with the 13 former colonies. And that helped us out a lot in the formation of the Union and America in general. And then in the Civil War, there was a Russian emperor Alexander II, who sent two Russian fleets to protect us while we were having a civil war from the British. The British actually wanted to join the war and join uh, General Lee, I believe. And so the Russians actually defended America while that was happening. And so I would just like to recommend I, I'd really like to hear from Russian voices in this situation. I would love to hear from like Russian citizens, fellow Russian working class people like us. And I would love it if you could also interview Whitney Webb. I don't know if you're familiar with Whitney Webb and her work with Last American Vagabond and Mint Press News.
0: I do know Whitney,
4: yeah. Yeah. Yeah, she's great when it comes to the CIA and all these kind of guys. It'd be so cool to hear you guys talk And okay. I would love to hear Russian voices in this conversation too.
0: Well, uh, fair enough. We should hear uh, more Russian voices. So thanks for yeah, I'm to
4: that. Gap. And I'd like to apologize to any Russians listening on behalf of America. Like we, we could we could do better um, as uh, global citizens. So uh, our leadership certainly doesn't represent us. And I don't think that Russian leadership necessarily represents Russians either. And so I'd like to work together with them to kind of get a grip on our leadership.
0: Yes, I interviewed a Russian dissident uh, a year or so ago. I forgot his name now, but it was about it was when Navalny was being uh, persecuted somehow, and uh, so Navalny was being held up in the West as this infallible hero, and so you know I brought in a Russian dissident, a leftist who you know has, actually he was living in exile for a while because of his opposition to the Putin government, but also he didn't have he didn't have kind things to say about Navalny either, and voices like that have been totally ignored because you know. The West basically wants to replace Putin with someone with an autocrat who will do the U.S.'s bidding. Not an autocrat who won't do the U.S.'s bidding.
4: So, uh, yeah. Dr. Pussy Riot as well. <laughs>
0: right. Yeah. 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 Okay. Thanks for the call, Brady. Likewise. All right. And the next caller is the Te T- Pavlu. Sorry if I pronounced that wrong. And if you're there, there's a microphone button on the bottom right that you press to unmute yourself. And if not, we will move on. Uh, hello. Oh, hello. There you go. Hi. Okay. Hi. Hi. Uh,
1: sorry. I am using Kalin for the first time. It's okay. Um, it's, it's honor to, to, to have this, 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 uh, this talk with you. That's, that's interesting. I, I follow you, uh, and Jimmy Dore and, uh, the gray zone. Uh, you, you do excellent work. Um, so, so thank you for that. Uh, I am from Czech Republic. So, uh, that's, uh, we call it Central Europe, but but, uh, the Europe thinks about us, about uh, us, Eastern Europe. <laughs> That's kind of the strange in Europe. Uh, and, uh, you called, you, you spoke a lot about, uh, Bellingcat. You talk a lot about, about Bellingcat. They are here, uh, like beloved cat. Uh, they, 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 they are, um, uh, almost cherished in, in every our media. That's for, Czech Republic uh, Slovakia uh, that's for Poland so uh everything they said is uh, um, like uh, uh, completely reprinted without any uh, any uh, thinking to to our media and we are pretty much um we we, we always believe to our media and uh now uh one one can see that it's becoming worse and worse. That uh, um, it is it's like totally crazy. Um, that they they lie. <laughs> for example, one one crazy lie that is for for uh, people from Czech Republic, Slovakia, uh, Poland uh, is old stuff from Chechnya. Uh, for example, here there was never spoken about, they never spoken about that there was uh, there was uh, um, a civilian war. And after the fact, Russia goes there uh, with military of, of course siding with uh, with uh, those do, who don't want separatists, uh, who are not separatists. Um, and it it was broken this year when Kadyrov uh, came to, to the light of the news and and uh many many people were surprised uh putin is calling to Chechnya for help to the nation who he uh like destroyed <laughs> so so uh, they they cannot uh, handle even their own narrative our media um and uh, uh, this this is this is crazy but we have something like uh, um they had in in united kingdom uh, with scripal uh, and it's tied to that uh, almost nobody' t- talking about that uh, in uh, western media but but uh, some politicians like uh, in u k in France they 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 were talking about it uh, We had here uh storage which was military grade and uh, it was uh, leased by military and it was blown up two years ago, and this was kind of the funny because it was before scripal and after the Skripal happened, um, they said that they are here, that they are still uh, researching and investigating what's going on and last year, it was about, I think, last year before election, uh, our local, um, it came to the light that Russians who were seen, I uh, that was the funny part, uh, uh, that Russians who Were identified in Skripal case in United Kingdom. Were tied to our blown up um, uh, military or or military uh, landed uh, storage, which was used for right. Yeah. So that was
0: that. That was a story where uh, Russia was accused of blowing up some weapons depots inside the Czech Republic. Exactly. Right. Okay. Yeah. And, uh, and you're saying that those depots were actually used for the war in Ukraine. Uh,
1: they, 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 they were used for, um, uh, they were used for, uh, weapons that was sold to, uh, to separatists.
0: Right. And so, and you're saying that these, these, these guys who were identified as suspects in the Skripal poisoning, that they were also somehow, they were accused of being involved in that. Right. So so, so they're very, so they're very busy. But they're very big. Yes, yes, exactly. And
1: imagine, imagine our, our idiotic, our idiotic military, um, spies that were sitting on, on pictures of these, of these two guys for years up until last year, that was like uh, two or three years, they were sitting on it and they were seeing them in almost every media in our
0: own. Well, yeah, look, that's it. the, uh, the, the Skripal thing is I paid attention to it for a bit and it just, none of it made sense. The story didn't add up, but obviously there's something weird going on in, in Russia too. What I was told by someone who is informed on this stuff, uh, was that he thinks that actually those two Russian guys who went to the UK and the UK had their passports were actually working to try to exfiltrate Skripal back to Russia because apparently Skripal wanted to come back and so they were there not to actually poison him but they were there to actually monitor him and uh, that's what they were in Russia for because the idea that they were there to poison him and to you know travel so easily detected by British intelligence has never made sense along with all the other discrepancies in that story but you know it's something I need to look into more one day when I have the time I just I haven't I haven't so far. Yeah,
1: um, for, for sure, it's it's tied to blankets, so yeah, uh, so you <laughs> you can somehow extend on that. Yes. Um, but but it's a lot. Uh, there's a lot uh, about it in, in our Czech media. It's uh, less uh, accessible, right? Uh, um, we are listen, I I have to, yeah,
0: I, I have to move on to other callers because I have a long queue left and I have okay. limited time. So yeah. thank you for the call. Thank you. Thank but you. listen, uh, yeah, my. my my email is uh, just my full name, Aaron Mate at ProtonMail.com. And if ever you come across anything in the Czech media that, is a, that speaks to all this, please feel free to send me stuff because I'm always looking for information on, you know, on the actual facts. So if you have anything, please send it to me.
1: Hey, thank you. Uh, if, if so, it will be tied to this, uh, to this uh, uh, label, the IPavlu. I, I, I thank you.
0: Sounds good. Sounds good. Thank you. Thank you. Okay. All right. Then –
1: Hey Aaron, what's up, man? Um,
11: really appreciate your time and your work as well. Um, I guess I, what I wanted to touch on was um, I, I'm I'm kind of astonished. I want to get your thoughts as someone who's I guess on the left in media, but um, I'm 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 really surprised. I'm not surprised at the liberal kind of wine mom MSNBC types who are just so gung ho with the um, Ukraine narrative and you mean you could point to other stories as well Russiagate etc cetera, etc cetera. but I, I'm shocked at how the 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 I guess more progressive left um, it's surprising me over the last three four years of how just pathetic they've been mm-hmm. in terms of managing or being skeptical of any narratives I mean you look at like the CIA story I mean that's about as shocking as their the, the story of probably was a lab leak. I mean, it's just as shocking to me, like AKA not shocking at all. So to me, I'm just shocked at the lack of skepticism and just, um, skeptical thinking regarding policy because it, it really affects even the, the total discussion and in, in the mainstream because when you cede all skepticism to the right, it's so easy just to say, oh yeah, these fringe right wingers. Absolutely. Oh no, there's no bio labs in Ukraine. Oh no. And then there's going to, we're probably going to see a New York times article in three months, but <laughs> um, I, I just want to get your thoughts on that real quick because it, what it really does is now there's no lack of critical thinking on even say the U S policy, the economic warfare we've done against Russia. I, I work in, I do some business in the commodities space and It was pretty fucking obvious that (laughs) this was going to backfire spectacularly. Yeah. And now Putin's, you know, declaring victory as he should um, in that speech he gave at uh, St. Petersburg forum. So, I mean, you're the one in the lefty media space. I just want to get a sense of, like, why are they so weak? I look at the Kyle Kalinsky types. I look at, you know, I don't want to name too many names, but everybody is just so pathetic on this Ukraine issue. And I guess I shouldn't be surprised because of the the way they reacted to the COVID lockdowns and COVID mandates. But I guess the far right's the only one who is skeptical about things, unless your name is Aaron Maté or Jimmy Dore or whatever.
0: Well, look, I mean, there's a lot of factors. I blame Russia Gate really entrenched this thing where to be a good liberal and leftist, to, you know, defeat fascism and stop Trump, you had to worship the CIA and the FBI and then believe everything they were telling you about Russia. And everybody went along with that. And, and people in the media not because they're, like, outright corrupt, but because they want to be accepted. They want to be liked. And they saw people who were being called Russian agents and attacked and dismissed and mocked. And I think they just, you know, maybe even subconsciously internalize this understanding that if you go over to, like, the Jimmy Dore, Grey Zone, Aaron Maté, Max Blumenthal, Glenn Greenwald side of things, you know, which is just basically... In reality, just it's just basically being skeptical of intelligence claims and asking for evidence. That's all it is. Uh, Then you're going to get dismissed, and you won't get hired for jobs. You'll be called mean names. And surprisingly, I think all this this climate, this this combination of just Russia mania and using Trump as like you know the sort of like um, as like uh, the this. Like, like
11: the ultimate boogeyman. Kind
0: of yeah, thing. the ultimate boogeyman, and just like everything, you know, and anything presented, anything presented as an alternative, as like a a way to fight Trump, just being yes, we have to embrace that, even if in reality, RussiaGate actually helped Trump, because what could be a bigger gift to Trump than diverting his opposition into a crazy conspiracy theory for multiple years? It's a huge gift to him. But anyway, it worked, and so it worked on Democracy Now, which like I used to work for a long time. Yeah. Um, And it also meant that on all these other, like, because we're supposed to worship the CIA and accept their claims about Russia, it also helped entrench this, 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 this broader neocon agenda where also people started buying into the dirty war in Syria. Because again, if you were to question the narrative on the Syria dirty war, then you were helping the Russians, you know, because Russia took. And so you also can extend that to Ukraine. And, um, it worked on people. And look, you know, people are also corrupt. So, the Intercept, I think it's, which is a major progressive outlet. I think it's, I think it's fair to call that outlet corrupt. It's owned by a billionaire oligarch who funds all sorts of shady projects that actually comport with U.S. regime change goals in Ukraine and also when it comes to Syria. Recently, uh, Piero Omidyar, who's the founder of the Intercept, he uh, the the owner of the of the Intercept, he funded his one of his organizations funded this study that called me a leading purveyor of disinformation on Syria, right? <laughs> so if you're at The Intercept and you want you know, a really cushy job where you're paid a lot of money to do, to do nothing, you're then incentivized to go along with what your owner, your oligarch owner wants. And that's why I think it's fair to deduce. That's why The Intercept has been so terrible on Syria. Uh, they've never even acknowledged the existence of the OPCW whistleblowers, even though they've published all these stories about the Duma case and actually promoted the Trump administration's line that Syria was guilty of a chemical attack in Duma. And that's why they can't even acknowledge the OBCW whistleblower's existence. So I think it's a combination of corruption and cowardice and um, also people just losing their critical thinking skills, uh, which is unfortunately happened. And when you have members of the squad not being willing to defend Julian Assange, except for Ilhan Omar in one tweet, and no one being willing to oppose voting for the proxy war, it sends a message. It sends a message as to what, where the parameters of progressive politics are at. And very few people are willing to handle being called mean names and lose some friends because they're stepping outside of that. And so that's, yeah. where,
11: that's where we're at. I guess the one thing I want to just
0: leave you with is
11: um, I'm, I'm actually calling from Somalia right now, but I was in New York a few months, like a month ago um and i was shocked cuz i saw um pro ukraine protest and it was they were chanting azov in the streets and i'm just like and it's all young people and i'm just yeah. i'm really i'm really concerned that young people now with their the, the kind of lack of critical or skeptical thinking and what that's going to do it's like yeah donald trump is a is a is a nazi okay whatever but you can't even call actual Nazis Nazis. It's like, what, J.K. Rowling's a Nazi. Like, what are we doing, man? But I, I'm concerned about young people and I, I feel... Um, and I don't really give a shit about right, left or whatever, but I mean, hey, if if your goal is to push as many people to the right wing, we're the only place pretty much, aside from you guys and a few other people, where, the, where all the skeptical thinking is, then you're doing a great job because I just see the right becoming younger and younger now. If 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 like this is what the trajectory is going to be, but I guess I. Just, yes,
0: you know. no, yes, and look, you know, like like the most like the the harshest attacks I get these days, like the like the most name calling and uh, just like the most like vitriol, it comes usually from people who consider themselves on the left. That's that's what I'm experiencing now.
11: I've seen she, you get called a Nazi, bro.
0: Yeah, well, sure, <laughs> I, I'm sure. Yeah, which is you know, yeah, yeah. Oh no, yeah. I, I've seen that too. Which you know is. Yeah. Uh, is, is a crazy thing to say to someone who is the uh, son of a Holocaust survivor and descendant of people, you know. But anyway, that's where we're at. Um, look, uh, Russiagate propaganda, neocom propaganda is a hell of a drug, and it's, it's duped a lot of people. And, you know, that's why I'm here, to try to, you know, shine some light on it. And yeah, so, I
11: guess all I'll say is Iraq war propaganda makes sense to me now looking back. But hey. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks, man. Appreciate Thank it. Thank
0: you. Appreciate it. Okay. Jack.
6: Hey Aaron, how's it going? Hi
0: there, good.
6: Um, I've, I, that um, issue that came up with the call earlier today around the kind of moral gymnastics that people are doing, kind of, and I, I kind of see it mostly from people in that kind of you know progressive liberal space, maybe like Warren type uh, Warren type liberals who don't you know, want to see themselves as being you know the arbiters of like morality and stuff like that. There's just a huge, There's just so many massive inconsistencies um, between you know the policies and the politicians that they'll support, and the values that they claim to uphold. And I think there's something you know really really interesting going on there because the kinds of people that I typically see doing this kind of thing you know usually like they're a bit younger but they're also quite educated, and I think they're often they're often um, you know middle class or upper middle class. And I think there's a really interesting kind of class dynamic going on there. And I was wondering what you thought about that.
0: So a class dynamic in terms of how people interpret the war in Ukraine?
6: I I, I do think so. But also like in the kind of um, the division on the left over the Ukraine issue, and it's not necessarily represented in, you know, the political sphere, but in terms of the actual public and the um, people who, you know, maybe see themselves as being on the left who support the war. I yeah. do find I, I I am noticing, especially where I live, and I'm not in the United States, but I'm noticing um, in in my country that there's definitely a, like a big class dynamic going on where there are these kind of highly educated people who see themselves as being on the left, who will well, support the war.
0: Yes, that makes perfect sense to me. I mean, uh, you know, it's it's hard to uh, extrapolate from personal experience and, and, and apply that to making a broader judgment but that makes that's totally plausible to me i saw it during russiagate Gate was such an upper class fixation it, you know um it was again it, it was upper class liberals who were really cared about the Mueller investigation and all that bullshit that went on yeah. for so long uh and so it makes sense that the proxy war in ukraine also resonates more with the upper class and part of it is you know you know, upper class people especially want to know that they're a part of a club, you know, and want, want to know that their membership in that club will always be assured. And so, the way in the post Trump era to assure like upper class respectability was to believe all that stuff about Russia Gate and care about Mueller and you know, like like the the New Yorker magazine had an article about how great Robert Mueller's style was in his Brooks Brothers suits and all that upper class stuff. And so. Yeah, it makes perfect sense to me that that extends to the war in Ukraine because, you know, that's who, um, I mean, it's, you know, working class people have to deal with the impact, higher prices at the pump and higher food prices. Upper class people don't absorb that as much. And so they're free to, you know, uh, to cheer along as the world gets, you know, more dangerous and less secure.
6: Yeah, I guess it's it's interesting to me, like, what what motivates um what motivates these people because you know, like just like the moral inconsistency is so palpable, like, you know, I don't agree with what with Russia's invasion, whatever. Like that that's a that's a legitimate view to hold, but acting like Russia's a unique evil, which I see is you know, it's a really kind of common belief, is just so absurd, like given the the last twenty years of American imperialism. And a lot of educa- look, like really educated people like hold that view.
0: Absolutely. Yes, they do, and um, you know Max Blumenthal likes to quote a line from Curtis Mayfield. Let me let me pull it up so I don't butch- I don't butcher it. Uh, let me just if my fingers will cooperate. Curtis Mayfield. This is a great quote. He says, "Okay, let's see here. It's from uh, if there's a hell below we're all going to." And he goes, "Educated fools." from uneducated schools and that's exactly how i feel about the upper class educated fools from uneducated schools mm. yeah all right yeah thank you jack for the call
6: all right, here.
0: all right martin
4: hi aaron uh i wanted to hear your thought about so- uh, a subject i've been thinking about uh as you probably are uh familiar with that uh the forgotten uh color revolution of kazakhstan happened just over the new year and i wondered uh when when it comes to the calculation of uh, the reasoning behind russians actions i don't feel that has been mentioned that much or at all as far as i know uh and it uh, kazakhstan being uh a collective security treaty organization member as well, and how that might have played in into the calculation for Russian. Banks.
0: So the thinking there is that Russia saw the U.S. Uh, the, uh, this is the allegation. Um, I don't know enough to endorse it, but this is the this is the theory of the case here. So Russia saw the U.S. helped back a color revolution in Kazakhstan, and that's and be, and Kazakhstan is a you know a Russian ally, and so that led to Russian frustration and. Just concluding that there's no hope with the West. They're always, always going to try to undermine Russia and its allies. And so we, we need to go to war. And that that helped motivate Putin's thinking in invading Ukraine. Is that what you're saying?
4: Yeah, uh, pretty okay. much. Yeah. Uh, I was wondering that.
0: Well, I don't know enough to uh, endorse that uh, because I just didn't follow it at all. I can say many friends of mine uh, in in leftist media believe that Um And certainly, and we're calling this a color revolution. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if it was based on, you know, U.S. history. Uh, But but I just don't know enough to say.
4: Okay. Thank you so much.
0: Thank you. Okay. Evan.
4: Hey, Aaron. Hi there. Uh,
12: I guess I'm going to try to make a coherent point here, uh, specifically about CIA in Ukraine. Uh, You had a former caller that said – that it's no surprise, and then in a few months we'll hear that it's obvious that they had to be there. Um, And most people will accept that view. And uh, I feel like most people just don't understand the gravity of the CIA as an organization. And the lack of knowledge of the history of the CIA is just something that most Americans have no idea about. And I think there needs to be like a mass education program to teach Americans about the CIA, you know, from the Dulles brothers to uh, Nixon, the Bay of Pigs, you know, Watergate, which turned out to be mainly false as he was threatening the CIA. Um, Obama's mom being a USAID, uh, essentially a worker. A lot of her projects were funded by them which if anybody knows that's a CIA cutout um, to Trump's ties with airstrips that used to funnel drugs. I guess the point that I'm trying to make is that <clears throat> I think the CIA is much larger and their impact on especially foreign and domestic policy is much greater than most people even acknowledge. Um, I guess a lot of people on here were also worried about the younger generation and about how they don't understand what's going on. I think the issue is that most people don't know any history. And so they just have no idea. Like, they're they're just ignorant. And um, I'll try to have conversations with people about things like the CIA and their involvement in things. And it's, oh, it's a conspiracy, conspiracy. But, I mean, if you look at anything that's been, you know, revealed through declassified documents or whistleblowers... It is apparent that they are the masterminds in many of the uh, the projects that go on around the world, domestically and foreign, foreignly. And one of the uh, also uh, callers called in and said that a lot of the people supporting this war and the and the government are supporting Nazis. Well, I mean, if you look after World War II, what happened? Uh, you know, Operation Paperclip. We brought a bunch of Nazis into our CIA. I mean, America essentially became the fourth Reich and has just projected fascism all around the world. I mean, this is like the evolution of American history and people are just ignorant about it. I guess that's all I want to say is that people need to uh, learn more about the history uh, in order to understand what's going on today.
0: Well, I, I hear you. Um, I mean, I don't know, I can't speak to all the, all the cases you laid out because, you know, everything requires a research project. But yes, the CIA's role around the world is so massive and so negative, I think. And recently I, I watched a documentary that was put out by Frontline, the PBS show, in like 1988, and it's produced by Andrew and Leslie Coburn. Andrew Coburn is currently the Washington editor for Harper's. And it's called Guns, Drugs, and the CIA. And it's like, I'll put a link to it in the show notes for this. Um, It's an unbelievable documentary. First of all, the fact that it aired on PBS is like, it's crazy. Like, there's no way this would ever air on uh, on PBS or anywhere near that now. But basically, it's an entire documentary about how the CIA is going to be involved in the drug trade around the world from Cambodia to Central America. Uh, and it's uh it's incredible and the things people admit to how like you know cia people are flying drugs for you know and like or like letting cia assets fly drugs and using cia planes and pilots it's oh, yeah. just you know uh, I mean, well like exactly like
12: you're saying sorry to cut you off but um yeah i mean if you just look at the iran contra right which damn near every single president was involved in in the 80s and 90s and you have uh essentially selling weapons to Iran right Reagan had to give some speech right he said we did not sell weapons to Iran then he came out 2 weeks later and said something like uh, I can't remember exactly what he said but he, he goes
0: said, my he goes my heart my heart tells me uh, he, he goes he goes he, he goes recently i came before you and told you that i was not involved in selling weapons to Iran to fund the contra's my heart tells me that i was correct otherwise. but the facts <laughs> Tell me otherwise. It's it's the craziest line in history. Yeah. Unbelievable. Who wrote that?
12: It's insane. It's not. And people, it's insane. And people, I mean, this is also an like type era of, you know, America where he's kind of speaking like a pastor to these people. And a lot of people believe in that bullshit. And, uh, but, like, I mean, yeah, the Iran-Contra, you look at, uh, you know, Gary Webb, who's breaking the story about uh, weapons you know, in Arkansas, uh, like weapons factories in Arkansas and outside of Riverside, he ends up dead with two gunshots to the back of the head. Yeah. You have Bob Seal, well, who was was flying. it to
0: the was it to the back of the head? Uh, I mean, I know. I mean, I don't. the The official story is that he committed suicide, and I know call, people. I know people have doubted that, but um,
12: yeah, no, he yeah. definitely did not. And then you have the what you were talking about the plane, the plane flying. I mean, there's Bob Seal who was flying planes into Arkansas, Little Rock, which is you know Bill Clinton state. Yeah. Um, And he cocaine ended up falling out of his plane. There was two kids. They ended up finding it. Then they were found dead on a train tracks. Their parents did an autopsy, found stab wounds in them. And then they, uh, Bob seal started, started admitting to what was going on. He ends up committing suicide. It's like, uh,
0: all right. Well, I didn't know about that, but, uh, what I'm definitely going to be doing is locking my doors, uh, extra tight tonight. So thank you for scaring (laughs) me. Yeah. Um, thanks for the call. Yeah, of course. Take it easy. And I'm going to put a link to that documentary, Guns, Drugs, and the CIA, in the show notes for this episode. Okay. David, our final caller. Aaron, can you hear me? Yes.
5: Oh, wow. How's it going, man? (laughs) I'm
0: well. I'm well. How are you?
5: I'm good. I'm good. Uh, I was just wondering if you could clear up uh, this thing that happened on the Jimmy Dore show with you the other day where... uh, it, talking about syria and vanessa beely and eva bartlett and they disagreed with you or they criticized you yeah what that was all about because i don't remember
0: well the reason i mentioned that is because th- this article in the guardian that i talked about before in this episode where they accused me of spreading disinformation on syria without citing a single example of such disinformation uh and without without mentioning that their s- only source was a essentially a U.S., U.K., and other state-funded think tank that uh, uh, works with a Syrian opposition-tied group called the Syria Campaign. The Guardian didn't, didn't mention that. And so they this article in The Guardian, and the study, quote-unquote, accuses me being a part of a network of what they call conspiracy theorists. And they say we're also Russia-backed, which actually is funny because that's a conspiracy theory. That's a conspiracy theory right there that we're Russia backed. In fact, initially the headline of the article said that we're Russia backed, but they took that out upon realizing that they were sounding like conspiracy theorists, which is ironic. But anyway, so I was just pointing out that it's funny for them to accuse me of being a part of a network, A, because they're the actual network of conspiracy theorists. This is a U.S. government uh, study, uh, a U.S. government funded study, along with a a number of other governments which also works with shady think tanks like funded by regime change, oligarch, Pierre Midiar. Um And the study cites a whole bunch of other US and other state-funded organizations like the White Helmets, like the BBC, um, like the State Department. So they're the network of conspiracy theorists. And on top of that, to accuse me of being part of a network is funny because the other people they mention in their study including Vanessa and Eva Bartlett, have actually been very critical of me and my views on Syria. So the idea that we're part of some network is right, stu- right. it's yes, it's stupid. And so what, they, what, they, what they've been critical on is...
5: What are their criticisms of you? Well, look,
0: their, regarding criticisms, Syria. their criticisms are twofold. The fir- well, actually, there's three. The first is, they've been on the ground in Syria for a long time, and they've been actually exposing a lot of propaganda in the Syria dirty war and doing a lot of I think really important work on the ground to um yeah. expose it. and someone like me didn't go to Syria until last year and so they pointed out that it's you know people like me get a disproportionate amount of attention uh in terms of debunking the Syria dirty war when other people like them have been on the ground doing it for a long time and I I think that's fair I mean they um they they have been there and that's that's important and it's uh I think actually brave what they've done um are are you but, but they Are also you
5: like colleagues friends with them. Uh, no,
0: them? no, I'm not. They, but they look. They they've been very critical of me publicly, and so I'm not really. Friends you know, with them. no, I, I wouldn't say we're friends. But also, you know, I, I have nothing bad to say about them. I, I don't agree with them on many things that they say on many topics. Um, and uh, they were also critical of me because I, you know, I encouraged people to get vaccinated if they wanted to, you know, and they were very. If they
5: wanted to, yeah. That's terrible, Aaron.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, they were they were also not into that. They they have very you know strong views on COVID and vaccines, and uh, we don't always agree. Uh, And um, I don't care if we don't hold the same views, but not everyone feels the same way about that. And also, um, they also didn't like that I've you know that I've ways in which I've described the Syrian government. I've referred to the Syrian government's corruption. I've called it a police state, and they didn't like that. Uh, they yeah. don't agree with that. And um,
5: Well, I consider you a very cautious <clears throat> before you speak uh, person, you know? Yeah. And uh, the first time I saw you was on Democracy Now! And I was like, who's this guy? Because <laughs> <laughs> you just kind of came up and co-hosted, I think, maybe with when you're interviewing Noam Chomsky or something. I was like, "Who? wait, who's this guy? <laughs>
0: Yes, yeah, so well I, and, and I, by I really the way I
5: really well, appreciate your
0: work. Well, thanks. And by the way, you know, for all the criticism I have of Democracy Now, it's editorial slant in the year since I've left, which I think is, you know, as I've said publicly, they've made some terrible editorial choices when it comes to Russia gate, the Syria dirty war, stuff to do with China and on, and onward. They've made editorial decisions I really disagree with. I have to give them credit and give Amy Goodman credit cuz back, you know, she allowed me to co-host at a time when I was terrible at it, I was so bad, and she let me continue to do it and let me grow into, help me grow into the journalist I am now. So for that, I'm always appreciative. And so, yeah, my first opportunity was to interview Noam Chomsky, and that was very memorable for me because he's a big hero. Anyway, so that's what happened with Eva Bartlett, Vanessa Beely. I, I wish, I personally wish them all the best, even though I, they say stuff that I don't agree with at all. Sometimes I think they do really important work, and I'm not gonna, even though I think. You know they've said harsh stuff about me, and they say stuff I don't agree with. I'm not gonna shy away from uh, you know acknowledging that they do important work, and they've you know uh, Eva Bartlett's in Ukraine now, and it's important. People who go to places and put themselves on the line deserve credit even if i have differ even if I have disagreements with them.
5: yeah, well, more power to you, man. Uh, that's why I love you because you've got that kind of an attitude and uh, continued success to you. Oh, in the thanks. Crazy right on, man.
0: I appreciate it. I appreciate it. All right, thanks, David. And Take thanks care. to everybody who tuned in. Thanks for spending some time with me. I really appreciate it. It's great to see so many people here. I'll be back tomorrow with Katie Halper at 11 a.m. Eastern Time after we do Monday Morning, which airs on YouTube at 10 a.m. And otherwise, I'll be back on here next Sunday, as always. Have a great rest of your weekend and take care bye everybody